Amen. You can have a seat. How was Thanksgiving break? You guys feel good? I got an infection in my leg over Thanksgiving break, so mine was great. Yeah, it's kind of gross, actually, but still a sore subject. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As you guys know, we've been in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a, is a letter that a guy named Paul, who was a, a Jesus follower, converted to Christianity, wrote a letter to a church that he actually planted. And, and we're going to take a look at, the, at chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. So as you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us as we're going. You can keep turning. God won't get distracted, I promise. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to, to get together and to open your word. Father, I ask that uh, you do what only you can do. No one in this room can do it. I can't do it. And that is to speak life into our hearts tonight, Lord. Would you speak truth from your word? Would you take the words out of my mouth and just turn them into something beautiful, um, something eternal, something that only you can do? These are your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had like a ton of time to get somewhere? Like the other day, like I had a meeting at like, I can't remember what time it was. It was like nine. And you almost have too much time. You know what I'm saying? Like, usually, like, if you're in your rush, you got, like, 15 minutes to get there, you can get there, and you're on time still. But it's like when you have so much time to get there is when you actually end up being late. Is that only me? So I had, like, an hour and a half one morning to get to this meeting. We were doing missions interviews, and I had, like, an hour and a half to get to this place. And I'm like, you know what? I got plenty of time. I'll drink another cup of coffee. I'll, you know, read a little bit. I'll check on the news. I'm just hanging out. And then I was like, oh, you know what else? I can also go get my prescription for my contacts that I just got because apparently I'm blind and need contacts because these glasses don't work. I was like, I'll just run in there, pop in there, grab my contacts, say thanks, shake their hand, and head to my meeting. Well, little did I know that you can't just like walk in and get your contacts. You have to sit down. You have to get your eyes checked again. And I'm like, crap. And by this time, I'm like looking at the clock and I'm like, I've got like 20 minutes to get to this meeting. This needs to hurry up. And so I'm not trying, like I'm trying not to be rude to them. And then also, did you know this? Like when you get new contact prescription, you have to like put them in. I have never had contacts before. <laughs> and so I, I, they're like, oh yeah, you have to try them on for us to make sure that they fit and like everything's good and then you can leave. And I'm like, okay, this sh contacts probably aren't that hard to put in, right? So I like, yeah, rookie mistake. And so I like, I sit down at the little contact table and they're like, okay, this is how you do it. I'm like, okay, cool. And then like the lady's still like just staring, looking at me. I'm like, oh, you're going to stay here. Great. And I'm like looking, I got 10 minutes now. And I'm like, okay, we got to do this. And I just cannot get the daggum thing in. I keep like just like blinking and it's like on my eyelash. And then I like, at one point I like lose it on the ground and we're both like looking for it on the ground. It was a terrible experience. Notice how I'm wearing glasses tonight because I still can't put them in. So I just don't. And I just wasted a lot of money on contacts. Um, here's the point of the story. This is a lot like, not the whole situation, but this is a, whole, a lot like what Paul is doing in this letter. 
The, the church at Corinth is going through a lot of problems. We've actually already like read a bunch of them. If you've been here on a Thursday night going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen these. Problems with unity, problems with sex, problems with division in the church, all these different things. And what Paul is doing is he's giving us a new lens to look through at this problem. And what I've done for you is I've created a very intellectual graph that only the highest educated people can understand. So I made, here we go. You can, I've got great Photoshop skills. So here's what's going on. I'll, I'll, I'll diagram it for you. That's us. That's a contact lens. And that's a bunch of stuff. This is, this is exactly kind of what Paul is doing in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's showing us this is how we need to think about sex, about purpose in our life, about singleness, about marriage, about community, about anything in our life. The way that we need to view it is in light of the good news of the kingdom of God. There might be some typos up there. I'm sorry. I made this in the bathroom. Anyways, very briefly. <laughs> We need to view every problem in our life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the lens that G there was a guy named Jesus and he was on earth and he claimed to be God. And the religious crowd rejected him and turned him over to be crucified to the Roman empire. And he was crucified on a cross and he died. But three days later, he rose again from the death, defeating death, proving that he, who, he is who he says he was and that he was the perfect sacrifice. God approved the sacrifice, which means your sin and my sin now can be forgiven through his sacrifice and the fact that he rose from the grave, defeated death, and we can have a life forever. This news that you know, that, that you've just known for a long time and it almost sounds repetitive, this news shapes how you view everything. And tonight, Paul is going to show us how this view, the kingdom of God, the fact that he's redeeming all things to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes the way we view singleness. And that's what we're gonna see in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. How we view singleness through the gospel the good news, that's what gospel means, of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna begin by looking at chapter seven, verse 17. Are you with me? Good. Let's read 17 all the way through 24. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not go get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called a slave? Do not let it concern you. But if you can be free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called a free man is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person 
is to remain in the situation in which he was called. Repetition is a big key to learning. Did you notice any phrases in any of the passages that we just read that were repeated? He repeats this one phrase three times, which shows us like this is the thrust of his point. And, and, and that phrase, we can see it there in verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when he called him. Verse 20, let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. And then again, verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation that he is called. Paul repeats himself three times. That is the thrust of his point here. And this is actually going to set up how he talks about marriage and how he talks about singleness. The point is this, when Christ called you from death to life, when he called you from death to life, you are to remain in that situation in which he called you. Because I think one purpose behind that is God has a purpose for the place in which he actually called you. This is why I, I often tell people, like I remember back in college ministry back in Florida where uh, we would see a kid come to Christ and he'd be like, I'm just gonna quit my major. I'm just gonna, I'm, man, I just wanna become like in ministry. I'm gonna give all, and his motives were good. But what I want to tell him is like, man, remain in the situation in which God called you. Because the very situation that you're in, God may have a purpose for you right there. What job you're in, what career, what, what, whatever your major is, man, God has a purpose for you right in there. And Paul gives us two examples of, how, of people that should remain in the situation when they were called to Christ. When you came to know Jesus to remain in this situation, he gives two examples. The first one is circumcision and the second one is slavery. He uses both of these things and says, listen, when you were called to Christ, hey, remain in those situations. Just remain, when you were called, remain both of those. For circumcision in verse 19, basically he's saying this, when you came to Christ, was the foreskin of your penis chopped off as a baby? Cool. If not, cool, right? He's saying like, yeah, whatever. That's not the matter. What's the point? Keeping God's command is what matters. And then in verse 21, his second example, the example of slavery, he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it concern you. And, and I want to like make a, a specific note here because I think we need to in our context and, and the cultural climate of our day that the difference, there is a difference between slavery as in colonialism and Western slavery and the slavery that we're speaking about in the Bible. When, when we speak about slavery in the Bible, it, it refers more to an indentured servanthood. Now there, that does not mean that slavery in, in, in some forms was corrupt and there was a, some evil masters but I think the Bible as, as a whole speaks to the evilness of taking human life for granted and not valuing the sacredity of, of human life. So, so don't just take this verse and be like, oh man, slavery. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, in the situation where you came to know Christ, you may have been a slave. Do not focus, do not spend all of your energy on trying to become not a slave. But he also gives that second thing. Did you see that right after verse um, 21 right there? He says, if you have the opportunity, by all means, take it, become free. 
But his point is this. Ultimately, do not be overwhelmed. Do not be anxious because your identity is found foremost in what Jesus says about you. Don't be anxious. Do not be concerned. Do not be overwhelmed in your situation because your true identity is in what Jesus calls you. And and what does this passage tell us that Jesus says we are? He is a free man. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves to people. You were bought at a price. Do you see Paul's point here? In both of these examples, Paul gives us the same statement. Remain in the same situation that you were called. Do not spend your time striving physically, changing your outward appearance and situation, culturally, socioeconomically, changing your major, like all of these different things. Because he's saying this, what matters is your eternal destination. And this changes your perspective on everything. This is is a push away from what we call legalism. Man, this, 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 shoves legalism like in the face. Those who are saying that you have, to, you have to be a certain thing to be in the family. The Bible says the exact opposite. And actually Galatians 3.28, what a great passage. It says, there's, either, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in what? In Christ. How are we adopted into the family of God? How do you earn salvation? How can you have life eternal? How can can you be approved by God? Not by circumcision, not by elevating yourself socioeconomically, not searching to do outwardly things. It is in Christ, in Jesus is how we are adopted into the family. Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, raising from the grave and being seated on the throne of God interceding for us now and forever is how we are grafted into the family of God. And this is Paul's main point. It's not actually about slavery and it's not about circumcision. You might be even wondering like, okay, what does slavery and circumcision have to do with singleness? These are examples that Paul gives because he's in the middle of a chapter that's talking about relationships, marriage, and now he's gonna talk about singleness. And I think this idea, this idea to remain is gonna set up the frame of how he's gonna speak about singleness. He's gonna continue to give us guidance here about those who are single in the church community. And so let's read it. Let's read how Paul responds to the questions that he's hearing in the church, specifically in verse 25. You with me? Verse 25. Good, getting the back of swing of things. Sweet. Verse 25, he says this. Now about virgins or people who are not married, singles. I have no command from the Lord. Pause real quick. This does not mean that Paul is just speaking on his own behalf, not from from what God would call him to. The word Lord there literally means Jesus. He's saying, I don't have a direct quote from Jesus about the, the problem that you were dealing with. But then he tells us right in the next sentence, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. He actually repeats this similarly similarly at the end of the chapter where he says, I am speaking filled with the spirit. So let me just tell you, we can take Paul's words here as words from God. These are not just random opinions and musings about singles and advice. Man, this is God's word and he is speaking from a, a filled spirit towards us right now. 
Now he gets into it in verse 26. Because of the present distress, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So what is he saying here? Basically he's saying this. Hey, are you engaged? Don't try to get out of it. Are you married? Hey, you don't need to try to get out of your marriage. That's not what I'm saying. But then on the flip side of it, he says, but are you released from a husband? Are you released from a wife? Are you free from a wife or a husband? Do not seek a wife. Do not seek a husband. That word seek is very important there. You might just be like, oh man, am I not supposed to like get married or am I not supposed to like even look around me like, oh, it's a guy. I don't want to, you know, oh, it's a girl. <laughs> I haven't dated in a while. so I'm married. I date my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the word seek is very important. That word seek really means to like go after with all that you have. Like man, like hide and seek. Have you played hide and seek before? Yeah. You're like trying to find that person. Nothing else matter. I'm going to find this person. I'm going to win the game. What Paul is saying, he's like, do not seek a wife. <laughs> Don't do that to a random girl either. <laughs> ah, are you my wife? Um, do, not, do not seek a wife. Don't obsess over it. Don't become so consumed by this idea of finding a spouse where it just controls you and takes you over. And that is all that you can think about. Paul's not saying that marriage is bad because look at the next verse. Look in verse 28. Go back to your Bible. However, if you do not, or if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin gets married, she has not sinned. Here's the kicker. But such people in this life will find trouble. And I am trying to spare you. What Paul is saying is that, yeah, it is okay to get married. But if he's honest, he prefers singleness and really thinks that we should not obsess over it. Why? He says, you will have trouble in this life and I am trying to spare you. It's kind of a weird way to talk about marriage, right? Like, oh, you're gonna get married? You're gonna have trouble in life. <laughs> like, imagine if someone said that like right before you get engaged, like, hey man, I'm really just trying to spare you. Don't do it. Like, don't do that. It would not go over well. And I don't think necessarily that's what Paul is doing. But what he is trying to convey is that, yes, marriage is going to bring troubles. And he is trying to, to spare us. But, but why? Paul, why should I remain single? Maybe you're asking that in this room tonight. If you're single, why should I remain single? Paul, I don't get what you're saying. What are you trying to spare us from? What are you saying, Paul? Look at verse 29. This is what I mean. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> it's helpful. I was wondering. Verse 29, this is what I mean. Brothers and sisters, are you with me? Verse 29, this is huge right here. I would underline this. Brothers and sisters, the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as if they had none. And those who weep as if they did not weep. And those who rejoice as if they did not rejoice in those who, has, who buy as if they did not own anything. And those who use the world as if they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing 
away. Paul is giving us a new perspective on life. Paul is giving us that contact lens that we saw in the beginning, right? He's trying to like shove that contact lens in your eye. He wants you to see the world differently. He's trading this Corinthian vision for a kingdom vision. Smart theologian people call this concept an already not yet perspective, which just means this. Jesus Christ is ushering in the kingdom of God. God is redeeming all things to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, through his life, death, burial, resurrection, will redeem all things and create all things new. And he's gonna set up his throne where there's no weeping, there's no crying. Jesus is going to be on the throne and in control over all things. He's bringing, I love how Michael always stresses, he's bringing heaven to earth. Heaven is crashing down to earth. Jesus is making earth like it is in heaven. But the good news is that this has already started. We're not just waiting for this to happen. This has already begun. This began when Jesus walked the earth and started ushering in this new kingdom. And on his death and on the cross, he, 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 he died and then he rose again and people saw this. And they believed in him that he was the Messiah. He was the chosen one. That they could have forgiveness of sins. And this created new communities called the church of people who would follow the way of Jesus. We can see the kingdom on earth right now through the community of the church. This right here is evidence that God is restoring things to himself. This community right here is evidence of God's kingdom. But... It hasn't come fully yet. We're still waiting. There's still hurting. There's still pain. There's still sickness. There's still death. We're still waiting and longing. Come, oh long expected Jesus. We're waiting for you to make all things right. And Paul even stresses this at the end of that passage. He says, for this world, as we know it, is passing away. We know this in our own life too, don't we? This already not yet perspective. You who are, call yourself a Christian, experienced new life in Jesus. Was everything perfect the moment that you accepted Christ in your life? Was everything perfect? Was God's kingdom established like perfectly in your life? Do you still struggle with sin? Anybody? No? <laughs> we do, right? We've experienced God's kingdom in our life and yet we still struggle, we still fail. We're still waiting one day when we will made complete, be made completely whole. What Paul is trying to get in our mind is trying to trade our vision of a Corinthian kingdom, just a kingdom that thinks about sex and purpose and life and singleness in our own terms and put it with the view that God is restoring all things to himself and that there is a purpose for you today, which is why Paul is calling us to be citizens, not of Corinth, but citizens of heaven. This is why I think he believes that it is better to remain single than to get married. Paul believes it is better to be, remain single than it is to get married. Why? Why does he believe that? Because marriage is not the ultimate goal. 
marriage for you, like everyone look at me real quick. Thank you. (laughs) The ultimate goal for your life is not to get married and to have a family and to have a house. That is not the ultimate goal for your life. And Paul knows this. Verse 29, this time is limited. We know our time on earth is short. Jesus is coming back. Our lives are but a vapor and we have a purpose on earth and it is not marriage. It is to further the kingdom of God by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. Even the point of my marriage, I'm married and I still learn a ton from this this passage. Why? Because even the point of my marriage is not about my marriage. The point of my marriage is supposed to point to the marriage of Christ and his church that is coming one day when he makes all things new. It is a gift. Marriage is a gift, but it is a temporary tool to proclaim the gospel. Marriage is not eternal. Just like your dog, marriage is not going to be in heaven. <laughs> I don't know about your dog, actually. Like, I hope your dog is in heaven. Uh, I, I have no idea if your dog's going to be in heaven. Cats will definitely be in hell. 100%. Cats are going to hell. Dogs, 50-50 chance. My dog will absolutely be in heaven. Um, but marriage is not, here we go. Uh, marriage is not, you're like, I don't want to listen to anything you say now. You said my cat's going to hell. It's not me, it's Jesus who said that. Um, <laughs> cats are terrible, come on. Uh, <laughs> marriage is not eternal. Like I will not be married in heaven. And we in the Christian community can often idolize marriage as like the pinnacle of life. Have you ever felt that pressure for you in college? Like the pinnacle of your being is to just get married? Do you feel that pressure? It is not a requirement for people in the church. And listen, if you are single in this room right now, I want you to know this. You can fully experience what it means to be a part of the family of God. God does not value people less who aren't married and you are not less because you are single currently. Single does not mean you are incomplete and marriage does not mean that you are complete. You are not less and you will not experience less, but do not take my word for it, right? Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more. At this time, right now, you will experience more. And in eternal life and the age to come, those who have left brothers will receive more in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. God has something much better for you. Listen to me, listen to me. God has something much better for you in this life than marriage. He has something much better for me in life than just an earthly marriage. The Bible depicts a wedding scene at the end of of time, but it's not between a man and a woman. It's between Jesus and his bride, the church. 
It is the marriage of a redeemed people that Jesus has brought back to himself, making all things new. My pastor gave this illustration to me when I was in college. Marriage is like someone holding a thimble. You know what a thimble is? Yeah, holding a thimble of salt water, holding on to the promise that one day he is going to have the gift of an ocean. Marriage is like a thimble of salt water, holding on to the promise that one day he will have the gift of an ocean. The idea that there is like a soulmate for you out there, like one person is totally bogus. You will never find a soulmate in another human being because humans are jacked up and they suck a lot of the times and they're sinful. Our souls were not made for people. Our souls were made for God. This is my point of the whole night. Marriage is not God's ultimate plan for your life. God's goal for you is to know him fully, to be fully known and to bring people to know Jesus. And Paul is showing us this, that you can give your life to something much better than a temporary marriage. But life can be given to display the beauty that is God making all things new through Jesus Christ. And I think if we're truly to capture this, we need like a heartfelt vision for what singleness could look like. So if you're single in this room, I don't think like, this, like a pep talk is gonna get you through. You need to actually carve out like a vision for what your life could be devoted to God. Paul continues in verse 32. I want you to be without concerns. This is gonna shape our vision for singleness. Are you ready? I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman is, or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in her body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Don't miss this part right here in verse 35. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Paul wants them he, want, he wants them. You saw that there. Man, I want this for you. He desires this for you. For them to see singleness for what it truly could be. Verse 35 says, it's not a, it's not a restraint. This is not a, it's not a rule for you. Does singleness for you feel like a restraint sometimes? Does this verse feel like a restraint to you? Like, hey, remain single. Does that feel like another rule to restrain you? Paul doesn't want it to be a restraint. He's saying this for your good for your benefit. Rudy said it last week, and I think he was right, that singleness is an incredible gift. Because it is, singleness is an incredible gift. However, I do not believe that singleness that Paul is describing here is a gift that only some people have, where they just naturally are content like being alone, or like they're like weird robots who like never get lonely or never like have sexual desires. 
I don't think that's like who Paul is talking to here. I think, but I think rather like Paul is talking to the people here in this context that singleness gives everyone who is single the gift of having the opportunity of singular devotion to the Lord. Let me, let me, let me say that again. Singleness gives everyone who is single the gift of having the opportunity of singular devotion to the Lord. So take a look at your left hand right now. Take a look at it. Are you single? <laughs> You're like, man, this is depressing. Uh, congrats though. Like, like congratulations. You have the gift of singleness. Someone in the back's probably like, can I return that gift? No. If you're single, it is a gift. And it's not like a spiritual gift. It's like an opportunity. If you're single, you, like, listen, this is good news. You have been given an opportunity to give your undivided attention to the Lord, pouring out all of your passion, all of your skill, all of your time to obsess over his kingdom and over creating a spiritual family. Verse 34 says, the married man's thoughts are divided. I am constantly worrying about my wife, where she's at, what she's doing. Like, man, is she okay? If I'm honest, it's usually the other way around. She's constantly worrying about me. Like, is Stephen okay today? Is he eating Taco Bell every single day? Is he alive? Is he doing anything stupid? For a long time, I didn't have a phone, so she couldn't reach me, and it was really difficult. She was always worrying about me. She's always worrying, like, is he going to fall off the roof at the fall retreat again? I did. I forgot to tell you guys. I'm alive. Surprise. Um, Paul is saying, if you're not married, you have the freedom of not having to worry about a spouse or providing for them. Like when we were deciding to move here, like this was a joint decision, 50-50, me and my wife. If I wasn't married, I, didn't, I would not have to be divided in that. I can say, let me pray about it. Cool, I'm moving to Iowa. It's not the case. Me and my wife had to, had to, to wrestle with this. We had to pray about this. Ultimately, we moved here because I'm here speaking to you. When you're single, which many of you are, right? Yep, cool. <laughs> you have an opportunity. You have such an opportunity to give your undivided attention to the work God has called you to. You can go, you don't have to worry about your spouse being happy. And, and I'm not saying like, oh, I wish I was in your shoes. What I'm saying is right now, like right this second, you have an incredible opportunity that has been placed before you. And you should live this out as if God has called you to it as if he has audibly spoken to you that this is what you want, he wants you to do in this season of life because this is the reality that you are in right now. I'm not saying have like a false confidence about being single, like I'm single and I'm proud. Like, like SpongeBob, like I'm ugly and I'm proud. <laughs> Shout out to SpongeBob. Rest in peace. But seriously, don't be sad about SpongeBob. Consider your life right now and your calling and get a life vision. Get a life. Get a life vision 
that will drive you into passionate mission. Like guys, like go home, get a piece of paper and a pencil and write out a life vision that God has called you to in this season of singleness. Get serious about what God could do in your life in this season. Stop worrying about the situation that you're not even in. Like God has called you to this season right now. And you should be passionate and you should be excited about this season. And you might be saying to me right now, like, Stephen, that's easy for you to say. You're married. This means nothing. I am not the one saying this. I'm not the one coming to you saying this. It's the apostle Paul. Blame him. <laughs> Paul, the apostle, the writer of the, most of the New Testament, church planter, spiritual father to thousands, had an incredible vision for what God could do in his life. Guess what? He was not married. Jesus, our savior, was not married. He was solidified. He knew his calling, had an ultimate vision for what his life was meant to be. Paul was driven by this vision. He beheld the beauty of Christ. Do you remember Paul's conversion? Being knocked off a horse, blinded? That experience of, 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 of seeing and knowing that Jesus Christ was Lord changed his entire life. Jesus, are you there? <laughs> He's coming back. Probably need to shave my beard. Paul had an experience with Christ and was completely enthralled by that moment. He was captured by the beauty of who Jesus Christ was. And this drove him to incredible mission. He tasted undivided devotion to his Lord Jesus and he gave himself fully. So if, if marriage is like a thimble of salt water, holding on to the promise of a gift of the coming of an ocean, then devoted singleness to the Lord is like stepping into the surf and describing to the people around you what the water feels like on your feet. You get to experience what undevoted, undivided love towards the Savior looks like. And you will get a taste of what it's like to experience eternity here on earth. Paul tasted that and never let go of it and was driven by his mission. College for you today. Listen, you have a gift of an opportunity while you are single to use these years in college to live out your calling, to live out an undivided attention to the Lord. College can be way more fulfilling than finding a spouse. Are you listening to me right now? As someone who is married, who found their spouse in college, college for you can be way more fulfilling than finding the right person to live for the rest of your life. College can be a time where you grow immensely in knowing the Lord and devotion. The biggest regrets in life are going to come from blown opportunity. So what I'm telling you is do not blow this opportunity that you have in your singleness right now. It is so easy to get distracted 
And like Paul said, seek, and we're, we're running after something. Man, it's so easy to get distracted of things that we think are gonna fill us, whether it's a spouse, a career, it could be anything. Do not waste your college. I'm gonna give you three things to do. Man, just soak in growing in your devotion to Jesus. Learn to nourish yourself with the truths of God. Learn to experience him for yourself. Struggle with, with, with theology. Struggle with, with, with the things in your faith. Do that now while you are single. Second thing is discover who you are in Jesus. It's really hard to do this if you're just bouncing around from relationship to relationship. You will never find out who you actually are. Listen, you're away from your parents now. This is the time where you can truly discover who you are in Christ. Third thing is this, just make a difference in the world. Be content in who you are and who Christ has called you, chosen, redeemed, loved, forgiven. Man, be, be content in that, but be really discontent with the way the world is. I mean, look, like, look around you. Guys, the world is on fire. And it is in need of people who have a hope that is greater than anything this world can provide. This should like pump you up. Man, don't, don't spend your life in college wishing, wanting, desiring, complaining about being in a different situation, wanting to be in a relationship. Man, embrace where you're at currently and give your life to Jesus. Remain in the situation that God called you in. If you are single in this church, in this ministry, we desperately need you. You are wanted. Our ministry, you and I, desperately needs you to walk out your calling right now. Where you're at, we need people that are confident in walking in the calling that Jesus has called you to. Laura Benson said this quote earlier, and it is probably the best quote I've ever heard regarding singleness, <laughs> ever heard in my life. She said this, if I spend my life single and it teaches me to be more dependent on the Lord, worth it every time. Listen, God has called you, maybe for a season, maybe for your life, to love him, to serve him, with all that you have. And singleness is a gift. It's a gift that you've been given right now, an opportunity to seek after him. Don't seek after a relationship. Don't strain. Don't be discontent with where you're at. Quit grasping for something that you have. But Paul is telling us, man, behold who Jesus is. He has called us something to much greater than an earthly marriage, but to work and to live for an eternal marriage that's coming one day when Jesus makes all things new and he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray.
Father, uh, man, I must confess even in this moment how easy it is to be distracted, even myself, with things that I seek after that are not of your kingdom. Father, forgive me for making marriage in of itself a priority. Father, marriage is something that is supposed to point to the greater marriage that is coming one day. And Father, singleness is supposed to point us to the marriage that is coming one day. We all have the same job, the same role, and that is to give our life completely to you. Father, would you, in this room right now, man, free people from the chain of a feeling that they have to seek out something, to seek out further fulfillment in their life. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 tells us, come to me all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. Father, that's what we want. Contentment, fulfillment, joy, rest in you. And we find it not in this world, not in a relationship, not in sex, not in anything we can find on this earth, but we can find it in you. You are the king. You are good. You are good and we trust you. So we follow you above all else.